0: A story of danger, cruelty, black violence, mystery, murder. By the way, what do you suppose the story was called? (laughs) It's the Marx Brothers Council Podcast. Episode 60, The Misty Corridors of Time. How do you do, Marx-maniacs? This is Noah Diamond coming to you through the courtesy of the enemy, and I'm here with two friends. Presenting, in no particular order, the immortal Bard of Bath, Mr. Matthew Conium.
1: Hello, and how incredible to think that we've now been doing this for 60 years. <laughs> and back at the
0: microphone, the incomparable,
2: the unmuted, Mr. Bob Gasol. Hi there. Hey. I, I forget. Am I supposed to have a funny comment here? I I, I don't know how this works <laughs> anymore. And I, I I trust you'll
0: just insert some laughter and applause right here. Well, episode 60, uh, 60 is a nice round number, and since episode 50 was devoted to our Animal Crackers deep dive, we thought this might be the time for us to look back, look forward, and look pretty silly, if you ask me. (laughs) We've been doing this show now once a month for five years, and it's sobering to consider that if this were an annual show instead of monthly, each of us would now be over 100 years old. Right from the beginning, we have been taunted and challenged by that (laughs) cruel question, how much can you possibly talk about the Marx Brothers? Well, we want you to know that that's not all we do here. This time, we're going to talk about ourselves talking about the Marx Brothers. Take that, cynics. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so, let's begin this uh, session of self-satisfied navel-gazing with a look back at the very beginning. This program is coming to you from the House of David. Welcome to the Marx Brothers Council Podcast. Episode 1, The Magazines Leave the Depot. Featuring the dulcet tones of Matthew Conium, Bob Gassell, and Noah Diamond. Uh, our first episode was released in March of 2018, but we'd already sort of been working on the podcast for a while before we got to the point of having a first episode to release. What yeah. are your memories of the uh, origin of this project, guys?
2: Well, I, th- I remember thinking there should be a podcast. I never really thought I should be part of it. I just liked the idea of it because I wanted to hear it. We had so- a lot of people thought you shouldn't. Well, it <laughs> still do. And um <laughs> you know, we have we have so many we had so many great people, knowledgeable, entertaining people on the Facebook group. You know, it just sort of seemed natural that getting some conglomeration of them together for, to do a podcast was the next step.
1: My memory really was that it was it was just kind of. I don't think anybody said hey I've, this is what we've got to do we, I've just had this brilliant. it was just it just sort of floated about for a while didn't it it just it was just kind of in the air and then I think somebody just said well come on then let's do it
2: I know it had been kicking around a bit in the Facebook group over the years people occasionally mentioning that Matthew should start a podcast but uh, nothing really serious um, however I did find the birth date of our podcast ah. Matthew Noah and I have had a messenger chat going for a number of years, discussing Mark's topics and whatever. And on September 30th, 2016, Noah said, "'Gentlemen, a recent Bob comment has been running through my head a lot, something to the effect of, for many long years, I have desperately urged Matthew to start a Marx Brothers podcast, knowing that the fate of civilization may well depend on it. It so happens that I have considered this myself.' and have always concluded that it would be too demanding an ongoing project. But I wonder if we may consider joining forces in such an effort. And, uh, so, you know, this was in 2016 and we talked about it off and on for like the next year or so, but the real impetus to get us, uh, started was in December of 2017. Frank Ferrante wrote to Noah and urged him to get going and get this podcast off the ground. And, uh... A couple of months later, we were we were up and running. So it was his
1: fault.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Frank. I, I forgot that detail, but it's absolutely true. I had I had posted something on my regular Facebook page about some of just uh, struggling artist frustrations. You know the the uh, challenge of balancing uh, a lot of creative work with a day job, and i just written a post sort of expressing my frustration with all that. Um, and, and Frank sent me a very kind response uh, privately, and one of the things he said was, uh, you know, you should, you should think about doing a podcast. Now, I hasten to add, it has not addressed the day job problem, really, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it has brought great satisfaction in every other way. Um, Wait, you don't work
2: for Patreon?
0: Well, we we should say that. I mean, the advent of our Patreon since this January has really made a difference in terms of keeping the podcast going. I mean, it 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 sustains itself now. Um, mm-hmm. But no, we're not. It's not as though we're. Uh, it, it's really substantially uh, upgrading <laughs> our lifestyles, you know. Um, but we don't need it to. We just need it to. Stay going on its own. Moment. So, sorry,
1: can I just hold on? A minute. Keep the peacocks off the lawn. Move the. Pe- <laughs> come on, come on! I've I've just had that lawn returfed. Okay, sorry. Carry on.
2: It's hard to find
1: good help, isn't it? it? Isn't
2: it? Wait, is that like a reference to the pigeon line in a day? The races.
1: No, it was. It was. It was. It was an absurd uh, indication of, of considerable wealth having been accrued. Okay, okay, okay. By okay. Patreon. <laughs> I haven't
2: been on the podcast much recently. I don't know why. I don't know you guys anymore.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, can, I can change it if you want. I can say, please polish the silverware or something.
2: <laughs> no, this is going out unedited, and I'm going to look like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in addition
0: to Frank's suggestion, since podcasts became a big Part of our culture. It, I had been thinking, oh, it'd be fun to do a podcast. You know, um, as with so many internet pursuits, one of the great things about podcasts is anyone can do one. And I, you know, I would say, oh, I wonder what a podcast, what my podcast would be about. Would it be scripted or would it be conversational? And it certainly seems natural that it would deal with the Marx brothers. And my recollection, I might have this a little wrong, is that I think. The two of you had separately sort of arrived at the concept, and we just sort of put our ideas together.
1: The only thing I remember clearly is is that um, I, I had hair and didn't wear glasses at that <laughs> time, and I, you know, I can't help wondering if there is uh, any kind of correlation there, but uh, <laughs> we'll let that pass.
0: Can you measure the amount of hair lost since our first episode? I'm like,
1: <laughs> yes, because I've been keeping it in a bag. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it is true that it since it's been five years, you know, it's a significant passage of time. And uh um, you know, we, we were five years younger when we started this. And the so, pod- uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> Bob's only two years older.
2: We don't know how he does it. <laughs> Yeah, we did kick around a lot of interesting ideas. And actually, we have a recording of uh, some of them when we were doing one of our tech tests.
0: Well, it would be funny to have, like, you know, like I'm standing outside the, you know, Marx Brothers playground in Manhattan. uh, Just to see what level of awareness uh, the public has of the Marx Brothers Mm -hmm. and just stop someone on the street who turns out to be the most, you know. (laughs) Detailed expert, you can imagine.
1: <laughs> that would actually be quite funny, wouldn't it? That'd be a good use of some You, could, you know, we can set it up, like get like Joe or someone to do it as a sketch. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like and before start... he comes on, before we use his interview. You know, just just do that as a little joke as a piece. That'd be yeah. very funny. Oh, what about you, sir? And you know, and it's Joe Adamson. That would be very funny. <laughs> I seem to remember we, we originally were going to do l- lots of separate regular segments rather than just a a single theme Uh, that's right isn't it we were coming up trying to come up with ideas for for regular chunks and got nowhere
2: i thought like reading news stories vintage news stories every episode (laughs) was going to be good but then i did that in one of the first episodes and it was like crickets around here so (laughs) i didn't keep that going (laughs) it is true that like
0: all kinds of Creative work, it sort of became what it is in the course of making the episodes, and I think our early episodes do have slightly more of a format, you know, in segments. Um, and I remember a discussion early on about that maybe portions of it would be sort of more scripted and prepared, and we'd have like every episode we'd do five minutes on this, five minutes mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, um, but what it's wound up being organically is. Much more free flowing, long format conversation. Uh, and that seems clearly what it should be, partly because that looseness accommodates other things when we want to do other things, like the scene recreations that we've done for some of the deleted scenes from some of the films. And mm-hmm. occasionally we'll have a guest who performs on the show, which is always a
2: treat. I remember we were very determined when this started. We we're like, there's no reason to go over one hour for a podcast. There's never a reason to go for one hour. now if we're under an hour, we're like freaking out. They're going to kill us. We need more, we need more stuff. It's true.
0: Well, if you want to see a lot of good reasons for going over one hour, look at our guest list, you know, uh, we've had, so we've been really lucky in that regard. And, um, on our website, if you just click on guests on the menu, you can see the whole list. And, uh, you know, boy, we've really had some interesting people on the show, and um, and Jay Hopkins. We've also had Jay Hopkins. That's true. We don't only have interesting people,
1: yeah. And ambitious ideas as well, like um, the um, interviewing uh, Joe Adamson underwater. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that came off pretty well.
2: <laughs> Wait, that, well, I'm saving that for the regrets section of the uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do
0: either of you have any? Um, feelings about when you listen to our early episodes? Do you have a sense of growth and development? What do you think of your own earlier performances on the podcast? And how do you feel about its evolution
2: in five years? I don't really listen to the old ones. I sort of try and (laughs) leave them behind. (laughs) Try and
1: forget about them. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, me personally, because I listen to them, you know, when I'm editing them, I'm listening to them over and over and over again, checking this, checking that. So once they're out, I'm done with them.
1: I'm just aware of how difficult it was in the early Days for me because partly because um, there was very often, um, well, there was always a, a time delay of, of to some extent, and on occasions it was an absurdly long time delay. I also yeah. um, had a handheld microphone for a very long time, oh, yeah. so uh, you know I, I looked like I was hosting a game show, and so every every kind of interjection I made, I was kind of weighing up. Is it is it worth it? Because yeah. it's going to be, it's going to take a hell of a job, you know, going to get in. So,
2: I was listening back to the first time we had Cinco on. It was like our fourth or fifth episode. And the session, we had actually had to abort our first session because you would start out someone in in sync with us, and then gradually it'd be longer and longer, and then
1: it would slowly <laughs> drift, wouldn't it? Finally, it'd be
2: like a minute. You'd be like a minute off, and we we didn't know what yeah. was going on, and we tried to like, okay, we'll talk, and then we'll we'll pause and wait for Matthew, and then we'll pick up. It that never worked. So, <laughs> but it turned yeah. out to be yeah, it wasn't necessarily the distance. You you just didn't have a great internet connection, and then I think you got that taken care of, and it's been pretty good since.
1: Yeah, it was uh we we had some you know high speed broadband stuck in the street and things changed. It, originally it was all done by rubber band and uh, it just it just <laughs> wasn't uh, wasn't the standard that we've got now.
0: Well, I I also I don't listen to our past episodes, you know, routinely, but uh for specific reasons I have gone back in the archives a bit. Particularly lately. Um, uh, For example, we just had Cinco on for his second appearance a couple of episodes ago. And before that, I listened back to our earlier uh, show with him just to see what we'd already covered and uh, see if there was anything to refer to. Um, And about uh, a couple of years ago, I guess, early pandemic, I did start listening to all of them from episode one forward. I don't know if I made it all the way through every episode at the time, but I definitely got reacquainted with the early ones then. Mm -hmm. And um, I really felt, both of my own uh, participation in the show and of the show in general, that it's come a long way. I mean, I think our early episodes are good, but, you know, the amount of, um, the the chemistry among us really improved. And when you listen to episodes one, two, three, one thing that strikes me is that the three of us had not even really spoken out loud to each other for any length before we started recording these. You know, we're all in different locations. We mostly know each other as social media correspondents and and email pen pals. And and that has been very interesting. And our out loud conversational relationships have basically evolved on the air. And it's interesting. Now I think... um, if it's not too immodest to say so, there's great chemistry among us, and uh, you know, and our, our listeners tend to say that too. But it's a little cautious in the beginning.
1: I really don't talk to anyone, uh, not just you two. It's, it's apart from my, uh, my my wife and, and son, uh, I, I go I go months without talking to anybody at all. So uh, it's uh, yeah, this is this is, <laughs> you know me better than anyone.
2: It's interesting you should bring that up, Noah. I was just thinking the other day how. Organica was for us to be learning about each other as the audience is learning about us. It just made everything more sincere. Are you, uh,
0: either or, or both of you, um, how uh, self-critical do you feel when, when I listen to uh, actually any of our episodes? I, I often feel like both of you are excellent, on point, Perfectly expressed, and that I am a sort of rambling mess, and I know that is (laughs) largely about self-criticism, and and, uh, it's not an objective observation. But particularly the early episodes, I often cringe at my own
1: babble. Bob's always on point because he has the scissors. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that to be honest, that's never uh, never occurred to me particularly. Now I would have thought if anyone, uh, you know, was less rambly than the other I would have thought it would have been you now so yeah I I was yeah do you
2: sound like a professional
1: Mm.
0: well I'm, I'm relieved and flattered to hear that but uh I also think from listening to the podcast I've I've become a better public speaker sometimes early episodes and sometimes later episodes too I'm very aware of how often I say um and like and you know and those kinds of conversational uh pauses for time and by listening to yourself you can learn
2: a lot about how to talk good <laughs> <laughs> well let me ask you guys a question is there any guest we've had on or topic or anything that you felt that we missed the mark on or you felt personally like you would like to have another shot at because there's several that i i look back at and go man i'd like to i'd like to do that one again even though it came out good i know i know i could do better I when I think of that first Joe Adamson
0: interview, uh, the one that had that technical problem uh, yeah. referred to by Matthew, I, I hardly say anything uh, in that episode, and I know it was partly because Bob, you were doing such a great job interviewing Joe, you had all the questions ready to go, and and you and Joe had a good flow going, but also I think I was uh, intimidated by my huge respect for Joe and that's interesting to me because i don't i think that problem went away and since then we've had people on the show who i have that much uh, regard for including we've had joe back but people like adam gopnik who's you know a huge hero to me but i was mm-hmm. I didn't have any trouble conversing with him i think that's a skill developed mm-hmm. in the course of doing the podcast
2: i just think it's inherently awkward to have three people interview one it's almost like you're grilling them but I know what you're talking about with, with the Joe show, but, uh, you know, I don't think many people noticed because Joe didn't, you know, 95% of the yap. And anyhow, so it was fine.
1: Again, that's, that's another um, thing where we've been very fortunate, I think, isn't it? In that we've never really, well, at all had the, the kind of guest on who said, you know, I can give you an hour and then that's it. I've got to go. You know, it's, it's always been people who, who really wanted to be there. Yeah and uh, to just let the conversation flow. I think the, the episodes that I most sort of want to go back and do again are the, are the uh, individual film deep dives because I always think, oh, I was going to say that and I forgot and that opportunity won't come around, come around again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, wait till we start
0: the re-dives. Yeah, I, you know, I wonder if, if about that, if there is some way to revisit the specific films for both of those reasons and Mm -hmm. also because i think there have been episodes where we have tried to combine a major film deep dive with a major guest Mm -hmm. and those episodes always wind up being really overstuffed and Mm -hmm. you know we wouldn't want to have to choose one or the other for example our night at the opera deep dive was also our andy marks episode so Mm -hmm. we had a very long wonderful conversation with andy then we started talking about Night at the Opera, which is a major film. There's a lot to say about it. And, you know, perhaps um, either the Andy Marks interview or the opera deep dive deserved an entire episode. Yeah. I sometimes think with the deep dives, I'll re- realize after the fact, just recently with Skidoo, uh, we didn't mention the screenwriter. Wait, somebody wrote that? you know and and especially since a screenwriter was our guest and we we just didn't get to it you know we just happened not to mention Mm -hmm. it i think there have been other times like that we haven't mentioned the director i think we might have neglected to mention al bosberg either in our opera or races deep dive and someone mentioned that to me after the episode came out and i still haven't forgiven myself
2: Well, let's, let me go back to the Joe Adamson one now, because we it's come up a couple of times. This was our second episode, and for those who haven't heard it, um, you can make out what Joe's saying, but it's a bit <laughs> tough. <laughs> the films
1: from Monkey Business, to Day at the Races, those five films, mm-hmm. would be the core of the book, mm-hmm. and everything else, including their vaudeville years, would be the beginning of it, and the end of it would be the films after Day at the Races.
2: I knew there was an issue with the audio, but... I didn't know whether Joe would ever come back. I didn't want to say, let's abort this and try it again next week. I didn't know whether he would be game. And I thought maybe I could fix it in post. But uh, it wasn't until I got into it and started editing it. I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be tough. And, you know, I had to put a disclaimer on uh, on the finished podcast. And if I had to do it again, I would have just scrapped it and started from scratch. But, uh, <laughs> you know, live and learn. This was our second podcast. If it would have been down the line, I certainly would have handled it better. But then again, the same thing happened with Eddie Deason, and I handled it just as poorly, twice. (laughs) But I'll get into that
0: (laughs) a little later.
1: (laughs) Eddie Deason was our our, uh, September episode, wasn't it? The the whole thing was uh, was junked and started again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Matthew's referring to Woody Allen's film September, which he filmed twice, being unsatisfied with the original (laughs) cut. He recast it (laughs) and filmed it again. Uh, we sh- maybe we should have recast Eddie. You think that would have helped? <laughs> <laughs> not really, Eddie. We would, of course, not want to do that. Yeah,
2: there were all- there were audio problems with Eddie's first interview. We did like a nice hour and a half, and it was great. We're all happy. But I thought there was, a, uh, there was a technical problem with Eddie's audio, and I thought it was just on our internet connection. I didn't think it was on the recording, but it did turn out to be the recording.
0: Do you think Chico and Margaret Dumont ever did it? I always wanted that as a kid. <laughs> I read about Chico. And I go, did Chico and Margaret Dumont ever do it this Now, this is my own theory. This is my own Columbo detector, because we'll never know.
2: So we went back like about a week later and redid the whole thing, trying to recreate what we had done the first time. And, and he was
1: he was word perfect, wasn't he? He delivered yeah. exactly the same podcast. just Two times running.
2: Saying the inappropriate things at the
1: exact same time. <laughs> Watch Tomatod's face, Matthew. She's absolutely in ecstasy. She's in heaven. And yeah. you just
0: know after the scene, Chico and her probably went to the dressing room and stuck. You know, you just, this is Chico. <laughs> and you just see, this is the effect. And you see it in Tomatod's face. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah eddie's a professional actor he could
2: do this do it another take but the second try was only marginally better so i ended ended up having to use that and it was only after we put it out that i realized that the problem was eddie's microphone and i sent them a headset so we'll have him back someday and we'll have that all set
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, are there any guests who have surprised you i I I know any guest we have on the show is obviously someone we think will be good on the show, and they always have been, but uh, sometimes I've been surprised by guests who, uh, the guests who are a little bit farther afield, like not the obvious Marx Brothers experts or associates of the Marx Brothers. But for example, the Nell Minow episode is one of my favorites, um, mm-hmm. and she, of course, had met some of the Marx Brothers and had a lot of personal things to say, but... Um, not an obvious choice, but that wound up being a really interesting episode that actually touched on things, you know, outside the Marxiverse that were relevant to our interests. And uh, uh, it was a great, surprising guest. Uh, I don't think another Marx Brothers podcast would have had her on. Mm-hmm. Not that they wouldn't have wanted to, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that just happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hannah Mira, too, was a, a, a listener who approached us with an interest in being a guest. And we wound up doing two great episodes with us so far. Mm-hmm. Are there any dream guests? Uh, should we talk about that? Anybody that you have in mind who either uh, we've thought about but not pursued or pursued and not bagged? I,
1: I, I've, I've always wondered whether or not Jennifer Love Hewitt likes the Marx Brothers. I'd, I'd be very, <laughs> very keen to find out that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, obviously. Obviously, Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, uh, Dick Cavett. Um, but other than those, I think we—I mean—we have been very, very lucky, haven't we? Um, yeah, and
2: obviously Melinda Marks. Yes, and uh, any of the other offspring, kids, and grandkids that uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to yet.
1: I had a really frustrating um, email exchange with the the people that did the the, the DVD of the Mikado. because as as people will will remember, um, this this DVD came out of of Groucho's Mikado TV show, and on the extras it, it actually had a, an interview with with Melinda, which which everybody was was stunned by, because the understanding was that that you just you know no chance of ever getting melinda uh, to do anything and uh, and there she was just just talking about this relatively inconsequential um, tv show so i i got in touch with them and said you know ha, ha, can you tell me how you how you got in touch with with melinda because i, I know, i'd love to sort of see see if she's willing to come on the podcast and they were kind of, oh well, you know, just 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 look her up, and, and I was like saying, well, well, where, you know, and they said, we'll just 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 get her a phone number, and I was like, yeah, but where did you get it from? And they were like being really sort of. Um You know, I think they were just—they were basically just taking the piss. You know, it wasn't that they were being cagey; they were just—you know—they were like saying, "You know, do do it yourself, slacker." And 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 I I just—I've no idea. But they—what they they assured me was that they had no special entree. They just looked her up, found her, asked her, and she said yes. So, Hmm. if by any chance you're listening, Melinda, or if anybody is listening who knows Melinda, please, 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 come on. We won't make you sing The Witch Doctor.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so this interview, was it strictly about the show, or did they get into her personal life and relationship with her dad?
1: It was basically just about the about the show, yeah.
2: yeah. So I'm thinking she knew the, how important this was to Groucho. This was a real passion project for him, so she was willing to revisit it. It wasn't just the normal Marx Brothers stuff.
1: Mm, which is fine by me. There are guests who uh, have uh,
0: occurred to me who are sort of on the list, and we we might well pursue them. Uh, you know, uh, I would be interested in talking to Simon Louvish sometime. Mm-hmm. I, I really love his book, and it's a book that um, I think it hasn't quite gotten its share of the conversation, you know, there, of the major uh, Marx Brothers publications. That's one that I think yeah. there's more to say
2: about it than has been said i got to say, there's been many times in the last few years where I've come across a Marx fact that I thought was brand new or noteworthy, and I found out that it was first published by Luvish and I'm surprised. I He doesn't get the notoriety that many of the other books do. Maybe that'll happen down the line. Yeah, it's, it's, re- it's an important book in the canon.
1: Again, yeah, I was in touch with him. He was very, very helpful when I was writing my book, very friendly, um, but didn't want to to uh to come on the podcast he's he's kind of um he, he's a, he's sort of turned his back on on uh you know uh public speaking and, and so on now i think um but yeah again he was very very nice I, I mean, other people um like glenn mitchell for a long time the only reason we waited so long to have glenn mitchell was because he he didn't have the the um the technical facility to do it and there have been a few people like that that have said you, you know theoretically i'd be keen to do it but i, I just I, have, I haven't got the haven't got the gear but as you know obviously as the years go on um and and this sort of thing becomes standard with with any computer setup yeah. uh, you know anyone can do zoom now i mean zoom was kind of n- a new and unusual thing wasn't it when we were starting off it just becomes easier and easier as time goes on so obviously we we did have glenn on as soon as we could
2: When we were thinking of doing the uh, Brain Donors podcast, I got a hold of uh, Pat Proft uh, on Facebook or somewhere, and I asked him, and he seemed somewhat interested, but claimed he was very busy at the moment and that he should write him again in a few months. And I thought, nah, he's just being cordial. He's not really interested. But when I got a hold of him later on, he was absolutely up for it then he said, hey, why don't I get my friend David Zucker to join us and you know we'll both go on. And it, it turned out to be one of the most fun things I've ever done, <laughs> that podcast. I don't know how good it came out, but I had such a good time <laughs> talking to the guys. So yeah, it's surprising the people who agree to come on. And uh, you know, there was, one, there was one guy who I contacted about coming on and we talked about doing it down the line and we haven't had a chance to do it yet. And that's Tom Wilhite, who's the guy who, Booked Groucho for the shows at the University of Iowa and uh, oh, yeah. actually, yeah, and brought him to Iowa when he did his f- first uh, run-through of the uh, An evening with Groucho concert tour and you, you know, he was, a, he was a young student and somehow convinced Groucho to come to Iowa to test the show out and I should revisit that and see if, see if we could get him on. I'm always interested in people who have played Marx Brothers
0: on stage and we've talked to some, you know, we've talked to Frank Ferrante and Les Marsden um, but, uh, some of the other prominent Groucho's people who have played Groucho conspicuously are, are interesting to me and either as individual episodes or as some kind of giant Groucho summit.
1: <laughs> yeah. a Nice uh, round table with a, with a whole bunch of Grouchos would be great. Yeah. In fact, I started
0: to make a list, and it's surprising how many there are. And it is, of course, an incomplete list. And there are productions of Marx Brothers shows happening all the time, everywhere. But some of the people who have done it very prominently, I just started to, off the top of my head, make a list And I got, in addition to the ones we've already mentioned, uh, Louis J. Stadlin, Michael McGrath, Michael Roberts, Eric Lieberman, uh, Gabe Kaplan, David Garrison, Frank Moran, Mark Bedard. Uh, There's quite a few of, I'll say, us running around, and uh, that would be an interesting way to go. There's also, like, famous people, big stars, who have expressed love of the Marx Brothers, and whenever I hear that, I think, ooh, maybe <laughs> we can get them on the podcast. Some we've tried, some we haven't yet tried, but that list for me is topped by Mark Hamill, B.B. Newarth and Stanley Tucci. Wait, B.B. Neuwirth?
2: She's, she's a fan?
0: Baby New um she tweeted um not that long ago back when we were referring to that act as tweeting uh she tweeted a photograph of the Marx brothers and she commented on it uh my favorite boy band uh with a with a <laughs> heart emoji and uh, I thought that was delightful and and she is of course a uh, wonderful huge talent and great star and um I actually was in the same room as her recently at a New York theater event and uh fantasized that I might be able to talk to her but uh and and try to get her on the podcast but that didn't happen. There also it's been suggested by listeners sometimes that maybe there are surviving you bet your life guests who we could uh track down and interview. That one I honestly haven't acted on because I just haven't taken on the project of looking into uh, all those guests and who might be around, but that's a good idea.
1: I went looking for the, any of the people who were involved with the British version of you bet your life around about the time I was doing the, um, the Marx Brothers weekend in Bath because we, we showed that episode and, um, It was frustrating because one of the guests on there, Glenna Forster-Jones, actually became a reasonably well-known actress, and she is still around. But I I wasn't able to to track her down. And and the most annoying thing is that um, Groucho's sidekick, uh, Groucho's phenomenon on that show, uh, is a guy called Keith Fordyce who uh, uh, presented a, a pop program called Ready, Steady, Go in the 60s, which you might have heard of he actually lived not very far he'd retired and he was living not very far from my parents uh but by the time i realized that he he just unfortunately uh passed away so i, ju- I just missed him we just lost a an, another prospective
0: guest who we were talking to um who was uh, unavailable this spring when we spoke to her and had said why don't you Uh, write to me again in the fall and we'll find a time. Uh, And she has just recently passed away. That's Mary Lynn Henry. Uh, She's the author of uh, a very highly regarded book about how to be a professional actor. And she's also a New York theater historian and very interesting figure. And she worked for Maxine Marx. She was Maxine's assistant for some years and uh, had some stories to tell. Sadly, we just, uh, it didn't happen in time. I also might mention on the subject of guests, just because th- there are some names that come up a lot, we have uh, been in communication with Bill Marks, Dick Cavett and Robert Bader about appearing on the podcast for various assorted reasons, different in each case, it hasn't happened, but it's not to assorted say... We...
1: Reasons. Assorted reasons or sordid reasons. In some cases, both. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but uh, of, of course, they would be on our list.
1: We also recently, of course, lost uh, uh, Bob Marks, and son, who um, apparently was, was a very um, forthcoming and, and, and friendly person, and, uh, helped Simon Luvish a lot with his book. Uh, Simon spoke very highly of him. Uh, sadly, we've lost him too now. Yes.
2: So let me ask you guys this. Which film that we did at it- deep dive on, because we should talk a little bit about the Marx Brothers, because their name's on the banner uh, above this podcast. <laughs> Fine. Which film that we did a deep dive on have you changed your mind the most about? Because I, I'm not sure I would have ever sat through room service again, except for having to do the deep dive, and I'm glad I did because I really did a flip on that one. I hate to give you this answer, but I think uh, of the films we've done deep dives
0: into, the one where my opinion has changed the most as the result of our deep dive was Skidoo, which, <laughs> as you know, I wound up <laughs> yeah, appreciating somehow. <laughs> I've got nothing more to say. About- The truth is that you, Matthew, have had a lot of influence on my opinions about the films and the way I think about them. But I was already familiar with those opinions, and they had already influenced me through your writing before we began doing the podcast. So, I mean, Matthew has had influence on my opinions and and the way I think about coconuts and duck soup particularly. Uh, But it's not really because of the podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever... I mean, every time I... Unfortunately, every time I watch um, At the Circus and and Go West, I I see something new to to dislike. Um, (laughs) Other than that, nothing... There were no major changes. What I'm struck by is that that Love Happy is is never the same film twice. I know exactly where I am with the others, and I, you know, I, I... Although I do take your point that you made, Bob, about Night in Casablanca, that after having been underrated for so long, there is now a, a, a risk of overrating it. And I've, and I've definitely taken that on board because I, I think you're right. Um, but, but basically, I, I know where I stand with them. It's unfortunate in a way, you know, They, they none of them can surprise me anymore. But Love Happy, I, I know I'm not going to have a problem with it. It's never been a film that I've you know, had troubles getting through or anything like that. But it it does seem to be the one that most um, responds to whatever mood you happen to be in at the time. And it it, it can, it it just sort of, it seems almost like um, litmus paper in chemistry, you know, where it's kind of just soaks up uh, what's around it. So I always, whenever I encounter Love Happy, it's sort of like a new experience. Hmm.
0: That phenomenon of, uh, underappreciated films becoming perhaps somewhat overappreciated in the effort to to rehabilitate them and look at them freshly is a that's a, a bit of a liability with us maybe mm-hmm. and it's funny how sometimes you know because there's also the tendency to maybe take an extra critical eye on the films that have been almost exclusively lauded mm-hmm. and so you if you listen to how like how critical we are willing to be of duck soup or a night at the opera and how generous we're willing to be toward the big store or a night in Casablanca. It it can sometimes lead to a skewed sense of what our opinions of the films are.
2: Hmm.
0: It's also strange to imagine there was a time not that long ago when duck soup was the underdog choice for their best Mm -hmm. and it needed champions Mm -hmm. to assert Mm. that, no, it's actually better than a night at the opera, you know, um, and now duck soup is the one that you can, you can uh, you know, stir up a little mud by suggesting that it's less than perfect.
2: The other one I wanted to bring up uh, for me, doing a real change of heart on, is uh, the coconuts. I'd always appreciated it for its historical importance, but watching it growing up on, on a small screen in standard definition, it wasn't one that brought me a lot of joy. But I don't know, maybe it's growing older or watching it in high definition on a big screen. I just so enjoyed it the last time I, I went through it. And even the corny parts, the songs and the romance and everything, I, I enjoyed every second of it. And it moved up my list of like two or three spots. It's not Animal Crackers, but it's it's in the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, that's the one that baffles me the most in terms of of the, you know the negative reaction that it that it does get. I mean, if if it is purely because of the 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 condition of the film, uh, then th- that at least you know I can I can understand. Although it's baffling to me how anyone could possibly let that get in the way of of what's happening. But people who just say no, I just I just straight up don't think it's very very good. Um, if they are Marx Brothers fans. Uh, that I, I, I just find it incredible because it's just one great comedy scene after another just laid end to end Well,
0: one thing that I think happens sometimes with these films is the overwhelming influence of Joe Adamson uh, you know Joe in his book expresses opinions about these films so well, he supports his points so effectively, and he expresses them so memorably, and many of us absorbed that book so early on in our experiences with the Marx Brothers. Um, and adamson is is ungenerous with coconuts, um, although he definitely seems to see the what 's great in in the comedy scenes uh, he 's very hard on the film from in, in other ways and I think a lot of people you know really have have internalized adamson 's views on these things and adopted them as their own. And obviously not to take anything away from Joe or suggest that uh, we shouldn't uh, pay great heed to his words. But it's always uh, informative to sort of forget everything you've heard, forget all the other opinions that you've absorbed about these things, and try to put yourself in the headspace of watching them for the first time.
2: And I'm not denying the common thought that Groucho's performance and to, to a degree Chico as well are not quite as refined as they would get uh, Actually, just a film later, where they were at the top of their game. You know, they, they are a little stiff here. But the material, I mean, my God, George S. Kaufman at, at his best. And I think that overcomes any shortcomings in the uh, production or the performances.
0: Yeah, I wonder if sometimes the complaints about the technical shortcomings of coconuts or the, the uh, state of the available coconuts that we have is not as much of a like, I can't tolerate grainy footage or, or primitive early cinema, but it's the sense that there is something, there is an edge missing from Groucho's and Chico's performances in that film. And maybe that's because of the technical uh, shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't exactly my view. I'm not really saying this uh, um, assertively, but I think for many, those problems are, are one in the same. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it, it would be very, very interesting to find somebody who who um, would respond well to them, who, who who you know would would definitely get them and, and like them, but doesn't know much about them and hasn't seen them. If you could then just show them all to them in the wrong order, with no and say you know don't go and do any background reading, you know just just come to and, and just put them on in you know how much they would notice you know how would they see that coconuts was something intrinsically different would they see the difference but so clearly between the mgms and the, you know to obviously cut the cut the studio logos off the front um would they would they be as bothered by room service as so many people seem to be uh scott I, we're talking about you <laughs> you know i never i never was i i could see that it was it was a slightly different thing. But, you know, duck soup is a slightly different thing, as I've said elsewhere. And and I know from, from my own experience, when I first saw them, I saw, you know, in a block, all the Paramounts except coconuts and stuffed in the middle of it a night in Casablanca. And I could see that there was something slightly different. But in no way did I clock that it was from right the other end of their careers and, and you know, had a totally different Reputation and, and and whatever, so I th- and I think a lot of it is is we're coming to it with with prior knowledge. I want
2: to bring up one last thing about coconuts. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the quality, and the fact is that we have a print where it goes back and forth from fairly decent to quite poor, and I think that's more of a distraction that if it was just poor all the way through. I think even if it was a, just a fourth generation dupe you would just forget about it after five ten minutes, but the fact that it goes back and forth I think is actually somewhat of a distraction and you become aware of the fact oh this is a good part this is a bad part then it's not really what you should be thinking about when you're when you're watching a film and uh yeah I, I don't know what could be done about it
0: Bob do you think that problem is accentuated in the remastered version ironically because the good parts look so good now
1: uh, yeah I I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> if so, I mean, I think it's a problem that's only going to get worse as, as you know, in this, in this kind of HD age. I mean, when I was growing up and watching them on television, I don't know if, if British television was particularly um, notable in this respect or if it was just television in general at that time. But, but shitty quality prints were not unusual um, if you were watching an old film. Um, it was very very common for you know bits of it to be all scratched and and i mean particularly the 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 the, when i look back at old recordings of uh two real uh shorts that that the bbc2 used to show uh the laurel and hardy's and 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 so on you know they really do look like you've got them off a a garage sale um Mm -hmm. really really poor quality stuff and we just we we just sat and, and absorbed it and we didn't know any different and uh, yeah. i mean i particularly now i look at the uh, i mean this is john Teftalo please stop listening um particularly now i look at the particularly the the remastered laurel and Hardy's, and they they seem to me like they they've actually lost something rather than gained um i'm not just saying that to be provocative but they really do that that grain and and the sound the crackle and hiss i grew up associating that as as being intrinsic to the films fortunately the, you know the marx brothers apart from uh those 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 few moments in in horse feathers and those chunks of coconuts that's not such an issue with the marx brothers it's not even something that i that didn't bother me it's something that i genuinely wouldn't have particularly noticed mm-hmm. It's interesting. I recently
0: watched The Jazz Singer, the original Jazz Singer, for the first time, a film I had somehow avoided seeing, although I felt like I had seen it because I knew so much about it and had seen the famous clips. But as research for another project, I recently had to watch it. I actually watched it twice. And the current available version of The Jazz Singer, asterisk, acknowledging all that is problematic about The Jazz Singer, the current available version is beautifully restored. It's really good. I mean, it looks crystal clear. Uh, The sound when there is sound is great, but the intertitles, you know, it's still mostly a silent movie as I'm sure most of our listeners know, and it just has certain passages with synchronized sound. And when it's a silent movie and the intertitles come up, they are seemingly screen captures of the intertitles and they're completely frozen. And it's jarring. It really takes you right out of it, even though I guess it's in, a, in some sense more perfect. And I found myself thinking, oh, I wish, I wish they were flickering and juddering and, and skipping a little bit instead of reminding me that somebody on a computer improved to this.
2: Well, actually, silent films, when they're archived almost all the time, they're done with only one frame of the uh, inner title. So that's all that exists. Uh.
1: That was all that was saved, oh, yeah. that's all that's available. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I remember, I'm of an age where when you used to look for rare films and order them on eBay, uh, they would come on VHS tapes. I'm I, when I first fell in love with uh, pre-code movies which were not um, a, a, as well known and understood a commodity as, as they now are, they were still a little bit under the radar this would be when I was in my 20s I decided to to get as many of these things as I could and so I would, I would go on eBay and find, oh they've got this person here's got the false Madonna, this person here's got pointed heels and I would order them and they would come on these VHS tapes mm-hmm. uh, in plain black boxes and they would Be multi generational VHS recordings of sixteen millimeter copies or even eight millimeter copies of these films, uh, and and would be to any sane eyes uh, literally unwatchable. You know, so so blurred as to make it very difficult to see what was going on. Hissing soundtracks, and I said yes, please, and and went to get some more. You know, it just it just (laughs) never stood in my way. I've never seen the False Madonna looking anything like watchable, uh, but I've seen it many times.
2: Speaking of False Madonna, have you seen her plastic
1: surgery? She's <laughs> in, <excuse me. laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> no, there, there, there I could do with some blurring, yeah. Let me segue
2: let me, let, let me us back here. I brought up about the quality of uh, coconuts, how it goes back and forth. The technology is not there now, but maybe somewhere down the line, the AI technology can help us improve that quality where it's not so noticeable. We talked about this a few episodes ago with Eric Grayson, but uh, don't be surprised with what technology it's going to be able to do for these films down the line. And getting us back to our podcast, which is the topic of the show, I was thinking of the technology with our... Archive Jay Hopkins interviews. Some of them are a bit rough in sound quality, and I'm I'm going to look into maybe improving some of those because a lot of technology has come around in the last year or two since we've put these uh, interviews out. Then maybe we can make them a little more tolerable for people. Because as we mentioned, Jay did these interviews back in the 70s just for reference. He had no intention of ever playing them for anyone or presented. So maybe we could get a little more out of them, make them a little more enjoyable.
0: Yeah, and for anyone who may be listening, who might be a newcomer to our podcast and hasn't gone all the way back in the archives yet, I uh, would love to say a few words about the Jay Hopkins interviews, which I think <laughs> may be one of the great services this show has provided, yeah. which is just making those available. They're really sort of precious archival interviews with people, most of whom aren't around anymore. Yeah. Um, the Jay Hopkins interview subjects Whose interviews we've made available on this show are John Goodell, Nat Perrin, Arthur Marks, Aaron Fleming, and Steve Stolier, who I believe is the one surviving Jay Hopkins interviewee. That tells you something about talking to Jay Hopkins.
2: <laughs> he also has a Susan Marks one, which he did not give to us because he, I guess, he promised her that he would not release it. But maybe we should prod him on that a little.
0: Yeah, we'll
1: get that out of him eventually. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, since you bring that up, I, I would like to mention, anyone who would like to hear a little bit of Susan Mark's interview can find some of Les Marsden's early conversations with her in my Fredonia Marksonia video, If You Get Near a Song, Play It, which you can find on YouTube. In that same presentation, there's a musical number performed by the two of you, Mr. Conium and Mr. Gasell. Uh, to the tune of the Gallagher and Sheen song And uh, I still get comments about that People talk about it uh, That really went over big and, and no reason why it shouldn't You were both delightful in it <laughs> yeah. And for me yeah. that performance kind of a highlight of this podcast Even though it didn't actually air on the podcast But maybe we'll listen to it now Oh <laughs>
2: Mr. Conium, oh Mr. Conium,
1: hello. What's on your mind today, Mr. Gasell? In
2: my latest council post, I believe I've diagnosed every reason why Go West can go to hell.
1: Oh, Mr. Gasell. Yes. Mr. Gasell. What is it? In the comments thread, there's quite the angry mob. This deserves a deeper dive One more podcast? Maybe five
2: Absolutely, Mr. Matthew Positively, Mr. Bob Oh, Mr. Conium. Mm-hmm Oh, Mr. Conium.
1: Yes?
2: I recall the Mark revivals of the past Double features on the screen Even some I haven't seen Bet your early days were equally a
1: blast Mr. Gassell Yes. Mr. Gassell. What? Life on campus was indeed my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Just as any student would, I got as many as I could. College
2: credits, Mr. Matthew?
1: College widows, Mr. G. Oh.
2: Conium Yes. Oh, Mr. Conium Why, yes. Why, your singing voice is really
1: quite a butte. Don't you think I sound my best when I've been on vocal rest?
2: No, I think you sound your best when you're
1: on mute. <laughs> Mr. Gasell. Yeah. Mr. Gasell. When you sing, I think that ought to be your job. Oh, thank you. And with your looks the way they are, you could surely be a star. At the opera, Mr. Matthew? At the circus, Mr.
2: Bob. Oh, Mr. Conium. Yes. Oh, Mr. Conium. That's me. I believe your book could use just one more snoop.
1: Yes, I may just edit out Old assumptions now in doubt
2: Maybe scrap this whole damn chapter on Duck Soup
1: Oh, Mr. Gasell. Yes? Mr. Gasell. That's me On the brilliance of the Marxists, we agree But
2: I'm the kind of fan who frowns On those other bunch of clowns
1: Who, the Stooges, Mr. Gasell? No, the
2: Council, Mr. C thank you thank you very much (laughs) and that thing was put together like free as a bird i mean that that thing was really cobbled together (laughs) right that's right
1: yeah i was doing it obviously completely on my own uh but but listening in my in my earphones to a to a tape of of noah performing both parts so i wasn't even listening to, to to bob i was listening to noah Doing Bob and me, <laughs> and yeah. just just joi- joining in with my bits, so that that's if it sounds a little ragged, uh, that 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 is why. That's what I did.
2: Yeah,
0: I, I think it looks and sounds like you are responding to each other, and maybe that illustrates the earlier point about how the chemistry has developed. Like in the beginning, we were really searching for our rhythms together, and then we eventually got to the point where you could separately record your parts of a musical number and seem like you were, uh, you know, getting on each other's nerves comedically. Actually,
2: another Beatles reference, that's how the um, Ebony and Ivory video was done with Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney. They They recorded their parts on separate continents and it got pieced together like they're at the same piano.
1: Oh really? Yeah, I know. Orson um, Wells and Peter Sellers uh, when they're when they're playing um, some, whatever, playing casinos um, in Casino Royale. They're you know at opposite ends of the same table. They're 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 completely separately shot as well, simply because Sellers didn't want to be in the same room as Wells, not because of any uh, any problem. You know. So Noah, don't forget
2: to put the Ebony and Ivory video on the blog.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I often think of the two of you as the Wonder and McCartney of Marx Brothers fandom.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me interject one thing here, because I had promised the second point about the coconuts. Noah, you had mentioned earlier how Joe Adamson's writing had formulated some of your preconceptions to the films, and that's not unusual at all. Uh, when I was younger, I got the book The Films of Laurel and Hardy by William K. Everson, and I had only seen a handful of Laurel and Hardy films at the time and I became really learned about his opinions of the films and I think that helped shape my opinion of those movies when I ended up seeing them and I've heard that same story from so many Laurel and Hardy fans so it's not unusual for a writer to shape your opinion of art if you know you haven't seen it yet. You could easily imagine people having that experience
0: now with us, you know, listening to the podcast, maybe if they're kind of newish Marx Brothers fans or haven't seen all the films, you know, hearing what we have to say about it and saying, oh, okay, I guess that's I guess that's the story with that film. Yeah, (laughs) because we're so convincing. (laughs) Well, this retrospective episode has mostly been a look back. But before we bring it in for a landing, maybe we might uh, look forward a little bit. Any thoughts uh, on the future of the podcast, places you'd like to see it go, or unrealized ambitions for the show?
1: One obvious one is, is, is to do, to do a, live, uh, a live one with all three of us in the same room. Uh, I, I have not given up on that. It will One day it will happen. It's just, it's just a case of when. It's
0: also interesting that the pandemic has really landed right in the middle of our run. And mostly because of the nature of the podcast and our, you know, physical remoteness, it hasn't really changed much about the way we do this. But uh, so much else has changed. I've got to think if the pandemic hadn't happened. um, Well, actually, when the pandemic happened, we were very close to doing that live episode that you mentioned, Matthew. Mm. You were you had plane tickets and everything I think and it it was about to happen Uh, anyone who uh, missed that part of the story can go back to episode 23 monkey distance which was our quarantine (laughs) special Um, and uh, even though I posed the question I have a hard time answering it I mean I'm very interested in keeping the show going we've talked about guests we'd like to have and directions it could go but I, Mm. I, I like what we're doing you know anything what's on your wish list
2: Bob for the future I really love our our deep dives. And I'm not just talking about the movies, but, you know, like when we do uh, books or documentaries or or whatever it is, just really, you know, getting into it and looking at
1: it backwards and forwards. And and I'm sure
2: we'll keep doing them because, yeah, there's more stuff coming out all the time
1: more stuff coming out all the time yeah far more than i think that at any any other time in in the past i don't know what 30 years it's it seems to be kind of every six months something genuinely significant is coming out isn't it
0: mm-hmm. that's right and and we know there's a lot ahead in that regard also you you remind me bob uh, one sort of you could put it on a list of unrealized ambitions is some of the ideas for episodes that we've already had and discussed but haven't gotten to because they would take an extra amount of preparation and and Mm. work to get to the point where we could do the episodes. And we have sort of waited for a time when we're all free enough to really plunge into it. I mean, we all spend a good deal of time on both creating the podcast and maintaining all the stuff around it, social media, Patreon, et cetera. But, you know, for example, a deep dive into a big book, you know, that's something we, we do when we have a month where we all feel like we can reread Harbo Speaks, you know, and comment on it. And, and lots of the books you could say that about, I mean, the Hector Arcee book, the Robert Bader book, lots of them deserve episodes.
1: I particularly liked the the Carl Crichton episode that we did with with Scott I think that was that was uh, you know because it forced me to read a book that I'd only ever kind of you know not read with with the full concentration I think ever and I you know I really enjoyed the experience and then loved chatting with with Scott about it so that yeah definitely
2: and I guess I should touch upon my presence on the podcast I really felt that I had said everything I needed to say about the brothers in their films and so I've moved on, but occasionally I feel like oh I want to get involved in this episode and that one so i'll I'll be popping in here and there and uh also I wanted to uh I wanted to thank you guys it's not easy keeping a podcast going this long i I've seen so many good ones go under after just a handful of episodes that people just think they're too much work and abandon them or they can't get an audience or for whatever reason but you know you guys have really put in the effort, and it shows in the quality. I really think we put out a good thing, uh, especially these last 10 episodes when I haven't (laughs) been around so much. But uh, (laughs) I hope we could keep going for, well, I don't know, until somebody sues us and takes us down. (laughs) (laughs) I also thank both of you and our
0: listeners, who ultimately are the real reason we keep doing this. Uh, If there weren't such a great response all the time, and if we didn't have such a strong sense of an engaged listenership who looks forward to the show, comments about it on Facebook and on our website and elsewhere, um, then I think we might not feel such a uh, an impetus to keep it going, but uh, we want to keep delivering it because people seem to want to keep receiving it, and mm-hmm. thanks to everybody out there who has uh, uh, made this continue. Something I really like about what we do that has happened just naturally. We didn't ever sit down and plan this. But the division of labor on our show is really interesting and works really well and just kind of fell into place. And I wonder how aware of it our listeners are. Like the voice of the podcast in writing is really handled very equally by the three of us. Bob writes the episode descriptions and Bob is our, the Twitter account is is all Bob. Matthew is very much the voice of the Facebook group, and also the Annotated Marx Brothers is, in Mm. a way, the Mm. blueprint for the voice of this podcast. Um, I write the blog entries, and... And uh, And we're on threads now. Indeed we are. Yeah.
2: We'll see what happens there.
0: I just added a threads icon to our website, so that
1: proves it. Mm -hmm. And I bring British gravitas.
0: You certainly do. You... It's it's really to your credit, Matthew, that you do have so many interesting and intelligent things to say, because as a Brit, you could just babble nonsense, and in the states, we would all think it was brilliant, no matter what. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, but the monocle is too much. It's just you got to. Well, who's going to pick the song? It's your turn to pick something, Bob. What? Yeah, I picked Matthew to choose.
1: Uh, Well, it's it's not going to be Ebony and Ivory, that's for sure. (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) 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 Yeah. Ebony and Ivory Live together in perfect harmony
0: Side by side on my piano Keyboard, oh Lord, why? But we need to survive
1: together Brothers Council Podcast is produced by Bob Gassell. Matthew Cunningham's books, The Annotated Marx Brothers and That's Me Groucho, are published by McFarland. Noah Diamond's book, Give Me a Thrill, The Story of All Say She Is, is published by Bear Manor Media. For more info on this and all episodes, visit our website at Marks Also look for us on X. And for the place to talk Marx and meet fellow fans, join us on the lively Marx Brothers Council Facebook group. See you next time!
0: Well, I liked some of uh, your thoughts, Matthew, about, you know, how to maybe kick it off by making the first one uh, a little a little more uh,
1: loose yeah, yeah. or, or um, unfocused. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm happy to be overruled always, but uh, I just I think people would 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 want to think of it as, you know, oh, what's this going to be then? And yeah. we're going to tell them, you know, I don't know. I mean, it,
2: We we shouldn't worry about people actually hearing this. We should just get going, and then if it's good enough to use or some of it's good enough to use, we will. If not, so be it.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But uh, I think if we we tie ourselves down to a theme straight away, I can just see us drying up more easily. I don't know. Uh
2: But I don't know if people tune in for the first time and hear me talk for 20 minutes about the manicures. I don't know if that's... (laughs)